You're listening to a sermon from Centerpoint Bathgate, available here each week. We hope you enjoy this talk and join us for more, either online or in person at Simpson Primary School Bathgate, any Sunday morning at half past ten. It is great to see you out here on a Sunday evening, Super Sunday, especially if you weren't here this morning. Double welcome to you, but it's great to be here on, on a Super Sunday. And, you know, as we were just singing there, Holy Spirit come, that's a beautiful thing to pray. Holy Spirit come, but it's also a dangerous thing to pray. Don't know if you've ever been in a prayer time yourself or in a meeting or in a situation or a context where Holy Spirit actually shows up in power. If you haven't, put your seatbelt on, baby. Because it's a good thing when that happens. Now, as a church, I, know I'm, I have a deep need to, to keep things very simple. I'm not real smart. I, I need simplicity. And so as a church... To help me, if nobody else, we have tried to simplify our mission to be both biblical and something that even me can remember. And it's simply this. It's the great commandment of Jesus and the great commission of Jesus. The great commandment of Jesus is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we could just stop right there and say, that's challenging enough. I mean, loving God with all your heart. We all have those things in our hearts that we know of. We're not willing to admit it to anybody else, but we know those things in our hearts that compete with affection for God. The theologian John Calvin said that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We're just geniuses at allowing things to come in and compete with our love for God. But, but we do our best. We, we show up. We worship God. This is what we've been doing tonight. We, we read the Bible. We, we, we worship God. We, we try to do this thing called loving God. But then the next thing she said is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, loving God is, I mean, God's perfect. I mean, he's, he's good and beautiful and loving, so it makes sense. We can understand why we should love God with all of our hearts, but take a moment and look at the person sitting beside you. This is who you're supposed to be loving as much as yourself. Now, Jamie talked about earlier about being in faith, and you were in faith until you turned and saw this person. And now you think, you know, I have to love them? Now, even as difficult as that might be, loving God with all of our hearts, loving our neighbor as ourselves, we need the Holy Spirit for both of those. We need the Spirit of God to help us. But Jesus didn't stop there. The last thing Jesus said was what we call the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Now, a disciple is simply a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And the Lord has called us as his family to invite others who aren't part of his family yet to come in and be part of the family. And this evening, I want us to reflect on that dimension of following Jesus just a bit. We began this year, for those of you who were around in January, with a series called Great Faith. And I can remember that. That was fun. We went through Hebrews chapter 11 and looked at some of those great heroes of the faith. And even though we look at our own lives and realize, you know, I don't quite measure it. But it's still inspiring to see those great heroes of the faith. Well, tonight we're going to 
ask the Lord to help us. Just over the next few minutes, as we reflect on this, we're going to ask the Lord to help us have great faith for this mission that He's given us. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and making disciples. That's the bit that we're going to reflect on. And just to root us in the Bible, our main text is going to come a little bit later, but I don't want any of you to get nervous. We, we do believe the Bible here. We, we believe that God has spoken to us in His Word. And so I just want to start with a couple of verses to remind us what God says. And the first one really is going to the very end, this book of Revelation. We see a picture of where the story is going. This is Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. This is what the Bible says. After this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is where we're heading. We're heading, we are destined for the throne of God. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, destined for the throne to worship the Lamb, to give God the glory of which He is due. And the picture that's painted here, there are people from every nation, every tribe, all peoples. So people from everywhere around this throne worshiping God. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. How does that happen? Well, the picture happens by doing the thing that Jesus said. The last instructions that he gave his staff, his team, his group of disciples, over there in Matthew chapter 28, this is what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always to the end of the age. So the simple point of connection is that the reason all nations end up around the throne worshiping the Lamb is because the followers of Jesus do what He said and go into all the nations and, and make disciples. They share the gospel, they baptize people, and call people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Now, this is a beautiful thing, and it ends beautifully. But when we talk about actually doing this, there are feelings and thoughts that come up in our hearts that create some sense of hesitation about this. The idea of you can all imagine someone right now that if you were tasked by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with that person, your response to the Lord would simply be, I don't want to. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because knowing and experiencing and enjoying the peace of, and the, the, the beauty of fellowship with the eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I mean, this is it's utterly glorious. The good news is that God wants others to enjoy that. How is it that we can have great faith for this great commission? I would suggest that it starts with this vision, understanding this picture that God has given us in Revelation. Now, when I was 18 years old, I had been accepted to 
attend the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And as I was preparing to go to university that next summer, in May of that year, my father gave me an audio cassette of, of some preacher, and it was, he had liked this message, so he gave it to me. And there were two main aspects of the, the sermon that, that I listened to on this audio cassette. It was lordship and destiny. First of all, this issue of lordship, that Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. So submit your entire life to him and follow him wholeheartedly. Now, I was a Christian, and during my high school years, I had done the best I could trying to follow Jesus, but just like anybody else, I had a bit, bit of a fleshy heart, and there's those, those few little areas that you try to keep over here, and just, Lord, don't look behind the curtain over here, and that's exactly where the Lord comes and looks there behind the curtain, and so that issue of lordship dealt with me, but the other one was destiny, and this idea that God has a purpose and a plan and a calling on our lives, and so... This, I got that at the beginning of the summer before I went off to university and just started reflecting on this big idea. Wow, God is sending me to Carolina, the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, for a purpose. There's a destiny there. And as I started praying oh, about this over the summer, God began to paint this picture in my heart, like a, a vision or a picture, just like we read there in Revelation, this picture of people gathered around the throne. I started to get this picture in my heart. And before I tell you what that picture was, you have to understand that the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, is not the most righteous place on the planet. State Senator of North Carolina said that you could put a zoo around Chapel Hill and call it the State Zoo. It was wild. The undergraduate library in Chapel Hill was ranked in Playboy magazine as one of the top ten pickup places in the United States. I mean, it was wild. I remember my very first night there at Carolina as a student, as a fresher. I come from a kind of conservative background, sort of limited. I grew up in Black Mountain, North Carolina, you know, population 5,000. You know, the craziest thing that might happen is somebody drinks a little bit too much and, you know, their target practice, their shotgun, they sort of shoot the wrong thing. But, you know, it's down at Chapel Hill, it was bizarre. I remember, um, yeah, I you know, saw things I had never seen before. And, you know, laying there at 2 a.m., my first night there, in my bed up against the wall and on the outside of the corridor, it sounded like Animal House going on. And the guys across the corridor, their speakers for their, their stereo system, they were about this, this big and doors open. And my wall is vibrating like this. And I remember thinking, dear God, what have I gotten myself into? And the Holy Spirit spoke, you haven't gotten yourself into anything. I put you here. And so it was, it was a, a radical moment. But as we're, we're, I was praying into that, before I went over the summer, I began to get this picture in my heart, this picture of revival, this picture of hundreds of university students repenting and believing the gospel and coming to Jesus. And so over the summer, this picture began to grow in my heart, and I got this strategy, this picture formed in my mind, this is how it's going to happen. And what I saw in my mind's eye, I saw myself going to class on the very first day of class, coming back to the dormitory, getting, going to the cafeteria, getting my lunch tray, and going and sitting down and finding a person, sitting down with them, sharing the gospel with them, 
They get gloriously saved. They repent. They believe the gospel. And they become this domino. And after them, just person after person, this revival breaks out just from this one lunchtime conversation. That was the picture that was growing in my heart over this summer as I was praying up there in Black Mountain before I went down to Chapel Hill. And so when I got down to Chapel Hill, I had the first orientation week, and then it was D-Day. The day was finally here to do the vision. And so I went to class, just like in my mind, came back to the cafeteria, got my lunch tray, and then I looked around for somebody who was sitting by themselves that I could go sit down and share the gospel with. And sure enough, I looked over there, and there was a guy. And so I went and sat down with this guy. Now, this guy that I sat down with and started chatting with, um, he was sort of, he didn't look like he was from North Carolina. He kind of had that California cool look about him. And I remember sitting down, and he was over there. He kind of had that blonde hair and just sort of looked cool, like he was a surfer dude or something. And went up and, hi, can I sit down? And sat down, engaged him in conversation, found out his name is Fred, and had a little bit of small chat. And then I just went for it. Now, I would love to have an audio recording of this conversation because, honestly, I don't remember, but I just, I went for it and shared the gospel with this guy, the good news of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what it means. Now, as I was doing this, you have to understand, I had been praying all summer. This vision had been growing in my heart, and I was as convinced as you are sitting here, and I am here, that revival was going to break out. I was astonished. When I got to the end of the conversation, and he said, no thanks, that's all very interesting, but I'm really not interested. Bye. Now, I was utterly confused. Like, how did this happen? No, 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 wait, 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 that, that's not the script here. <laughs> be, be, these are your lines. I want to repent. I want to... He wasn't interested. Now, Fred was staying in one of the nearby dormitories, and so over the next six or eight weeks, I kept an eye out for Fred. And every now and then, I'd see Fred, and I'd go chase him down, and I would go harass Fred with the gospel because in my heart, this was the key. He was the first domino. He was the linchpin for revival breaking out in this zoo called UNC Chapel Hill. But every time I tried to talk with Fred about the gospel, he was utterly uninterested. And I was just, I was brokenhearted. But there's some degree of resilience in me, and so I didn't give up. Now, in the center of North Carolina Chapel Hill, the center of the campus, there's this indentation of coming to this, this rectangle with four steps going down, and this place is called the pit. And at the pit, this is like the center of campus, and there's all kinds of activities. Clubs will get out there and advertise protests, demonstrations, all kinds of things. Every now and then, somebody would actually get out there and, and publicly preach, and all, all different kinds of things were going on. And one day, I was walking through this, this area called the pit, and I noticed a guy sitting by himself, and I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, go and share the gospel with that guy. Now, that's a good kind of a prompt to obey. If you ever have a prompt to share the gospel with someone, you can weigh this out. This could be the Lord, this could be the devil. Now, when was the last time the devil ever told you 
to share the gospel with somebody. So I concluded this must be the Lord. Now, this fella that I saw sitting there by himself, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like you, you could imagine the kind of person that you would like to have a conversation with. This was not that guy. This guy, I found out later his name was Mike, and Mike looked like a biker dude. Mike is there in leather and chains, and he wasn't from Black Mountain either. He is from some other kind of place, and he is a really intimidating kind of guy, kind of scary. But, I th- you know, the Holy Spirit has told me, you know, I need to go share the gospel with this guy. And so I, I sat down beside him. He was reading the student newspaper, and I, again, engaged him in conversation. And uh, tried to share the gospel with him. And uh, after a while, he seemed to get tired of it and said, Hey, this has been kind of fun, but i got to go eat lunch. Well, you know, it is lunchtime. I'm hungry, so I'll come with you. And so I followed him into the cafeteria. Chased him down, harassing him with the gospel. Now, I, you know, Mike, even though he looked intimidating, I liked Mike. Mike was a personable kind of guy. And after getting through lunch and listening to me do whatever it was that I was doing a bit more, Mike finally looked up and said, I have to go now. Please do not follow me. Bye. And so Mike left. And I was thinking, wow, Fred didn't believe the gospel. Mike didn't believe the gospel. What is all this stuff about sharing the gospel? People need Jesus. They need the life of God. And he's told us to make disciples. And Lord, I'm trying, but it just doesn't seem to be working. Then another thing that happened that same semester is that in our church, we had something called the International Student Ministry. And that was our university attracted students from all over the world. And there's a, a, a woman who, who ran this ministry, and I really wasn't interested in that a whole lot, but they had this, this Thanksgiving dinner. I, I was not involved in that. And at the Thanksgiving dinner, they collected a lot of names from international students, some of whom expressed the desire for a friend or a Bible study or a conversation partner. And so she said, Tom, we got this name. Would you go look this guy up and follow him up? And I really wasn't into to that, but how do, you, how do you say no to a request like that? So I said, sure. And so this guy's name was Liu Quing Cheng. Now again, I'm from Black Mountain. This guy was from Taiwan. I, I couldn't have found Taiwan on the globe. Um, it was outside of the United States somewhere, and you know, my geography wasn't real, real good at that time. Plus, I couldn't even pronounce his name, Liu Quing Cheng. And I'm sure that that's not how you pronounce it, but that was me with my North Carolina accent trying to pronounce Chinese name. And I remember going down there to Craig Dormitory. That was where he stayed at. This, a lot of the international students were at this Craig Dormitory and going down there and thinking, how am I going to talk to a Chinese guy? I mean, I can't even spell China, much less talk. What's the, the point of connection here? And so the only thing I knew is, well, maybe, maybe he likes to play basketball. So I just took along a basketball with me and went and I remember just standing there. It's a very intimidating thing. You know, you're knocking on the door of a stranger and you're like, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen when, when the door opens. What kind of person is this going to be behind the door? And, and so he opened the door and I was like, hi, I, I got your name. And uh, maybe you'd like a friend, maybe you want to play basketball. I did the, the, the most depressed presentation, I could, hoping he just says no and I can sort of go on my way. But he says, sure. 
And so we go out back and we play basketball for a while and just sort of, sort of become friends. But there's no gospel in there at that time whatsoever. And as I look back on those experiences, it's easy for me to think, well, that was all just failure. But this is the big idea I want you to catch, is that the only failure that we do regarding the gospel is when we don't open our mouths and give God a chance to come through. Even if you're as big of a failure as I am, that's okay. What blesses God is when we trust Him anyway, when we have faith anyway, when we're willing to step out anyway and engage people in conversation. Now, this kind of faith is what I call the perhaps kind of faith. And I'm going to read a, another text here that describes this. This is going back to maybe a little bit of an obscure story here in 1 Samuel chapter 14. This is right after Saul had become king, not too long after that. And in Israel at that time, they were being dominated by the Philistines. And it was even the, the verses right before this describe a situation where the, the Israelites didn't even own military hardware. The, the Philistines wouldn't let them. There were only like two acts, two swords. Jonathan and Saul, his father Saul had swords and, and, and nobody else. And they, they just sort of, the, these Israelites had farm utensils and that was how they would fight their battles. And so it was, they were being oppressed by the Philistines at this time. And Saul, who was the king, was just sort of watching all this and not really taking a lead. And so that's the context. The people of Israel are dominated by these, these foreigners and Jonathan gets tired of it. In chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, starting in verse 1. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side, just the two of them. But he did not tell his father. Now, why didn't he tell his father? Because his father was filled with doubt and unbelief. And sometimes you've got to be careful to whom you tell what it is that God's put in your heart, because if somebody is filled with doubt and unbelief, that can wash off on you, and you can lose your perspective of faith. So, verse 2 Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. I'm glad we got that settled. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, and Shiloh, wearing an ephod. Now, that's the author's way of saying this is exactly when this was happening. The people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Now, within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other, Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. And Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart, for as you wish. Behold, I'm your servant and I'm, I'm with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold. We'll cross over to the men and we'll show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come down to you, then we'll stand in our place and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll go up for the Lord has given them into our hand. 
and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of their holes, for they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan, his armor bearer, and said, Come up to us, and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into our hand. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp and in the field and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earthquake, and it became a very great panic. Now, there's a lot packed into this great little story. I just want to make a couple of observations. First of all, Jonathan went up with what I call a perhaps kind of faith. He did not tell his armor bearer, God spoke to me, if we go up, we have the victory. He didn't have a word from the Lord. He just went up with a perhaps kind of faith. Now, you have to love their battle plan. If you caught this, the battle plan was simply this. Hey, Armor bear, here's our plan. We're going to go up to the Philistines and we're going to wave at them. If they say, come up, that's the sign God's given them into our hands. If they say, wait there, it means it's a bad day and we better get out of here. And so the plan was just, hey guys, here we are. Just the two of them. They didn't tell the rest of the army that they were doing this. And so, first of all, you, you love this battle plan. Second, there are these two crags that they had to walk by. And I want to suggest to you this, that to follow God wholeheartedly, to follow God in faith, to follow God with boldness, there are two crags we have to go about. One of them is, is fear, and one of them is intimidation. Fear is what we feel on the inside based on our own insecurities. Intimidation is what we feel from the outside based on what we think others think about us. And so the, the fear was simply, I don't have what it takes. Therefore, I can't step out. Intimidation is there's no way we can win because they're stronger than us. But here's the thing. Jonathan walked past those two crags of fear and intimidation with this one simple word. Perhaps. Perhaps if we go up, God will work for us. It's a beautiful thing. 1 Samuel chapter 14 Verse 6, come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. The thought that I would like us to grab hold of this evening is very simply this. Perhaps if we open our mouths and share the gospel, somebody might get saved. Perhaps if we open our mouths and let somebody else know about the love and the truth and the beauty of knowing Jesus. God might work in that moment and bring somebody to himself, perhaps. There are no guarantees. You might, like me, be a, a great failure, but you never know, perhaps. There's one thing that you do know. If you don't open your mouth, zero influence. If you don't open your mouth, they will not hear this good news. But if you do, perhaps, Perhaps just by opening your mouth, God might 
work. Now, this idea of sharing the gospel with people, I know that can be an intimidating thing. Let me try to make it as simple for you as I can. There's, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And so we use this acronym SALT simply to say, start a conversation, ask questions, listen, and tell your story. That's all you have to do. You don't have to get all caught up in big, deep philosophical or theological issues. Part of what intimidates us is, well, what if they ask a question and I don't know the answer to the question? Look, I, I hardly know any answer to any question. That's just, that, that's okay. So, you know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, but just get into the game. Perhaps, perhaps if you start a conversation with somebody, you never know how this thing might play out. You know, it might not go well. I remember Fred. I remember Mike. I remember Leo Quang Cheng. It might not go well, but it might. You never know. Start a conversation. Ask questions. Listen. Tell your story. Even if all you do is invite somebody to church. It's a radical idea. Somebody has a better chance of meeting Jesus here in church than they do shopping at Ikea. So just give them a chance to come along. Perhaps if you open your mouth, God might work. Perhaps. No guarantees, but perhaps. As I reflect back on my time at Carolina and that fellow Liu Qing Chen, let me tell you the rest of the story. After I played basketball with him that first time, we developed a friendship. A couple of months after that, I invited him to go with us on a student retreat and we had a little retreat with these international students, and my pastor was the main speaker there, and he just, just preached the gospel in a very simple way, and Leo Quang Chung repented and believed the gospel and gave his life to Jesus. And now he and his wife, Shi Cha, are the pastors of the Every Nation Church in Taipei. Perhaps, perhaps if you knock on a door, you never know the impact that that one knock can have. Now, after Liu Qing Chung came to, to faith in Jesus, we became really good friends. And my la he was a graduate student. He was studying phytoplankton, and I don't even know what that is. But I was, I was just a lowly undergraduate. And, but we decided he had these three Chinese friends. And so our, my last year at university, uh, we, we shared this flat together, me and these three Chinese guys. It was great. I made this deal with them, that they would cook and I would wash dishes. <laughs> And so every night, my last year at Carolina, um, I was washing dishes because I had just eaten a real bona fide, authentic Chinese meal every night. Speaking of which, why is it that when you go into a Chinese restaurant and you ask for utensils to eat rice with, they give you two sticks? How did two sticks win the rice eating utensil contest? I don't get that. But... I remember every night, there we are, eating rice, and I've got my little fork, and they've all got their sticks, and somehow they figured it out. And so it was a great meal that all came out of, not only did Casey come to Jesus, I also got some really good Chinese food out of, perhaps. <laughs> Just knock on that door. But that last semester that I was there at Carolina, um, living there in Oldwell Apartments, CC4, why do I remember that? I don't know, but... It was a long time ago. I remember I got this thing in the post and, uh, while I was living there, and strangest thing, it was a wedding invitation. 
And normally when you get a wedding invitation, you recognize the name. And I remember getting this wedding invitation thinking, this is odd, I have no idea who this is. And so, as a university student, I decided to do the righteous thing. I'm gonna go to the wedding <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, I'm a poor student and we love free food. And so that was my real motivation. I just wanted some free food. But actually, I was intrigued. Who is this? That has, and normally you know whether or not you know the, the bride or the groom. And you're like, you know, bride, side, groom? I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I'm supposed to know one of these people. I've got the invitation here. But, and I remember going in and sitting down at that wedding, looking up at these people who are getting married, thinking, I don't know. I, maybe I know them. I don't know. But... Anyway, after the wedding, we're here to eat, eating this free food, and it was a little fantastic. And then finally, the groom started heading towards me. And I'm like, okay, this is the moment of truth. I get to find out who this guy is. And he walked up to me, said, Tom, you might not remember me, but my name's Mike. A couple of years ago, I was sitting over there at the pit, and uh, you came up to me and started sharing the gospel with me. And uh, I really did not like anything you were saying. So I tried to get away, and I fled into the cafeteria. But you followed me in there. And then for the next 45 minutes, before I could ask a question, you were answering it. And I just got so sick of it, I finally left. And I was just so bothered by everything that you said that that night I went out and got drunk. But... A couple of weeks later, I just looked at the emptiness of my life, and I remember those words that you had said, and the seeds of those words got deep down in my heart, and I repented and gave my life to Jesus. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Perhaps, perhaps if you open your mouth, somebody might get saved. It was right there at the very end before I found that out. I'd never seen Mike again, but the Lord had. The Lord uses the little words that we say. And I remember as I was going through Carolina, finishing up that semester, came into exam time, taking exams, and I remember my very last exam, this dual sense of exhaustion and jubilation. I am free. I have done these exams. And I was walking back to my dormitory after that last, last exam, walking across and going down the sidewalk. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you know, just kind of walking along. And then out of the corner of my eye, I passed somebody. And just this part of my brain said, there's something, something familiar about that. And I, I found myself kind of turning like this, looking over my shoulder. And what I saw was that this guy, he was doing the same thing like this. And so we were both at the same time sort of looking over our shoulders. And it's like one of those film, scenes in a film where you're like this magnet and then we kind of just start walking towards each other. I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. And as we approached, he goes, are you Tom? I'm like, yeah. Who are you? You might not remember me, but my name's Fred. When we were freshers, you used to harass me with the gospel of Jesus. You used to chase me down and 
he was just crazy. It was like I'd go to a party and you're there. I'd go to the, you're, you're there. It's like I had to get away from you because I just didn't want anything to do with Jesus. But a couple of years ago, I just hit this point in my life where I just knew I needed more. And those words that you said got deep down in my heart. And I repented and believed the gospel. And now I'm following Jesus. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Now, I thought I'd been a massive failure because this big, glorious vision of revival breaking out at Carolina, it didn't happen. And the first domino, it didn't fall. And so I spent years there at Carolina as a student thinking, I'm just a failure. I'm no good at this. But you know what? Perhaps, perhaps if you open your mouth and let the love and the truth of Christ out in whatever way you can, you never know what God might do. My appeal to us is simply this. Perhaps if we open our mouths to share the good news of who Jesus is, our good Father can use the words we speak to draw people to Himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you are a good God, that you're the God who chases us down, and you're the God who saves. And Lord, somehow in your infinite wisdom, you have chosen to use us in this process of bringing others to yourself. We don't know why or how all of that works, but this is your plan. Oh, Father, we confess that the idea of sharing your love with others, sharing the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, even something as simple as inviting somebody to church. Lord, for some reason, these things are incredibly intimidating to us. And yet, just something as simple as opening our mouths, just like Jonathan saying, perhaps if we go up, the Lord can work. Lord, you're a powerful God, and you're inviting us to take a step tonight into this perhaps kind of faith. You're inviting us to have faith for the Great Commission, not because we're good at sharing your love with others, but because you're good. And even in the midst of our weakness, you can use our little baby steps to do amazing things in the lives of other people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and empower us to be faithful witnesses of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means for our lives. Help us, oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.